0: My name's Neil Sharp. I'm a partner at Penn Partnership and also your host for this podcast. Today's episode is all about the sustainability of healthcare and in particular reflecting on some of the work that we do at Penn to help healthcare systems try and address the challenges that they're facing going forward. The health systems we enjoy today are unsustainable. Current levels of care provision along with expected medical advances in the future are going to be very difficult to finance from public resources without major reform. Sustainability can be achieved by the alignment and integration of different resources to deliver the experiences and outcomes that patients want. And what that's going to do is is blur the lines between traditional healthcare and life sciences sectors in different parts of the world. Put simply, we believe that life sciences companies must adapt to a new role in healthcare. And Penn works with organisations across the life sciences sector, but also within healthcare systems, to actually try and work out what that means in practice and try and fulfil those needs. We're very proud to have a consulting relationship with NHS Wales, where we're working with them to develop strategic partnerships with global life sciences companies to explore new ways of doing things. In particular, this focuses on collaboration amongst companies and finding new ways of delivering integrated care models which meet the sustainability and affordability challenge. And I'm joined today by Navjot Kala, who leads the Value-Based Healthcare Programme in Swansea Bay University Health Board, a large integrated healthcare organisation within NHS Wales. She also holds a national role in the Value in Health Programme as the Assistant Director for Digital Transformation. She has a long and varied career in various different aspects of IT and data and has led significant research projects using big data for operational decision-making, particularly those focused on improving efficiency and also patient outcomes. A lot of organisations and healthcare systems are grappling with the problems that I've outlined earlier, and Navjot is doing work right at the heart of trying to put value and patients at the centre of everything that they do, and put quite simply, trying to deliver and measure outcomes that matter most to the people of Wales. So let's dig into the detail of what all of this means in practice and welcome job. Ah, Hi, Navjot. Good morning. And first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. As I said in the introduction, you're currently Assistant Director, Digital Transformation for NHS Wales. And I really want to explore the work that you do during this podcast. However, before we go there, perhaps you could just start off by telling us your story in your own words and how you ended up doing what you do today.
1: Well, thanks, Neil. And thanks um, for the lovely introduction. So uh, a little bit about me, I qualified as a computer science engineer um, and worked in the um, the industry for some of the market leaders in technology and innovation, including Hewlett Packard, uh, Maxim Integrated Devices, which is now called Analog Devices, and uh, Click Technologies, which is one of the market leaders in business intelligence, for about 15 years before joining the NHS five years ago um that's me and my my career in a in a nutshell but but as a as a geek as i fondly call myself i am passionate about technology but i am also passionate about technology not for the sake of technology i am passionate about using technology for innovation that generates business and patient value and i'm all about creating that slice showing the art of the possible, rinse, repeat, repeat, and scale. So that's a little bit about myself.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, that's lovely and concise. Thank you, because that means we can get straight into a little bit about the work that you're doing within a- NHS Wales. And I understand that NHS Wales has been recognised by the World Economic Forum as one of the four global hubs for care model innovation. There was also a pioneer setting up a path towards sustainable healthcare, which obviously we'll explore as we go through this and I'm I know that you guys are really hoping that other health systems will actually follow in your footsteps as you go through that but I mean this sounds really interesting and exciting and it certainly chimes with a lot of the work that we do so would it be possible if you could give us at least a helicopter view of what's going on in NHS Wales and also what's driving the work that you're doing
1: absolutely Neil so I'll start with a fact actually One of the facts is that by eliminating inefficiencies in healthcare delivery, about one-fifth of health spending in the OECD and some $1 trillion in the United States alone can be saved every year. So value-based healthcare is about focusing on delivering health outcomes that truly matter to the individual and the society at large in cost-effective ways. So the focus is on putting the individual at the centre of heart and care. And actually, that is the cornerstone of what we're trying to achieve in NHS Wales. So there is a focus on putting value at the centre of health and care for the 3 million people in Wales. The Welsh government in 2014 launched its value-based healthcare strategy called Prudent Healthcare to create the policy called A Healthier Wales. And since its implementation, it has made significant improvement in chronic and episodic diseases, focusing on measuring outcomes that matter most to the people of Wales and creating a standard operating model to improving patient experiences, the quality of life and outcomes. So in, in terms of your question, and the the main areas for focus in Wales to deliver this major um, transformational way, you know, to achieve this, I think that the core pillars of of the program are, first of all, working with patients. The second is about how we use health informatics, for example, to to collect, measure, and utilize patient outcomes, combine them with clinical outcomes and other data sets to be able to um, have a more systems thinking around this, then it's all around outcomes and cost. So at what cost are we delivering those outcomes? Are there any efficiencies in the system that need to be improved? Um, It's also about addressing the culture with the appropriate communication, education and engagement. And of course, research and the industry have a huge part to play in it, and hence encouraging strategic partnerships with, with academia and industry are, are really important.
0: Yeah, really interesting. And so why is this happening in NHS Wales? Was there something specific that started it or does Wales have a specific set of characteristics which lend themselves to creating the right conditions for innovation of this rather far-reaching and ambitious type?
1: Fantastic, Neil. So I think I'd in that sense, there is three things, I believe, is um, lending whales to creating the right conditions. And those three things are the right size, which is the population is 3 million, and perhaps a sort of manageable sort of population to kind of try these approaches and, and ensure that these approaches actually work for the population we serve, the right policy and the right digital enablers. So when I when I talk about the policy, it's the healthier whales, which is all about doing things differently and understanding the outcomes that matter to our patients and our populations. It's also the integrated nature of healthcare in, in Wales. So so we've got health boards which are, you know, which are integrated organizations encompassing primary, secondary and community care. So that allows you to look at the patient journey holistically. Then uh, it's about the digital enablers so the the three digital enablers that i'm going to talk to you is first of all the digital health and care wales which is a, a new special health authority created to take forward the digital transformation needed for better health and care in wales making services more accessible and sustainable whilst supporting personal health and and well-being the second is the national data resource program which is a strategic imperative for health and care in wales and is an essential component for the digital architecture review now this underpins delivery of the commitments made in the healthier wales with goals to deliver a more joined-up approach to health and care data across Wales. And last but not the least, um, we've got the Digital Services for Patients and Public, which is also called the DSPP. It's a Welsh um, Government-funded programme to coordinate patient-facing digital services across health and and social care in Wales. So those are some of the the creating the right conditions in in Wales to deliver value-based healthcare.
0: Let's dig into that. I mean, one of the, I guess it strikes me, one of the key reforms if i can put it like that that would be required to achieve what you're talking about there would be all around integrating resources to deliver both experiences and outcomes that patients want so that's that even thinking of that and saying that is is quite different from uh, perhaps the traditional Delivery model. I mean, if we can explore that a bit deeper, I mean, it's it's a long way from the current reality. So, I mean, what does that mean in practice? I mean, you talked about co-production there for a moment. I mean, what? How do you get organisations to come together, and how do you make that a reality?
1: Okay, so it's a really interesting question, Neil. So, so when we when we talk about integrating resources to deliver experience and outcomes that patients want, I guess it's all about understanding the patient's journey through the healthcare system as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, of course, throughout that journey, understanding what's the value we're delivering to the patient, what's the value we're delivering to the population, and what's the allocative and and technical value. Now, I'd like to elaborate a little bit on that. So when I say personal value or patient value, it's what matters to the individual. Uh When I talk about technical value, it's the outcomes achieved for the investment. And allocator value refers to the optimum allocation of resources across and in between populations. And, you know, you asked about what does it mean in practice and what organizations need to come together to make this a reality. There is no one answer or one right answer to this. Because everyone, in terms of the stakeholders for delivering this value, is at a different level of maturity in this journey. And also the objectives of organizations, public and private, so when we talk about publicly funded healthcare systems versus privately funded healthcare systems, or we talk about life sciences, I think they have very different objectives, Mm -hmm. and hence, um, there can be different motivations of people who work for those organizations and as well as how they engage together. So some of those, I guess, nuances, Neil, need to be picked up when we talk about integrating uh, things or, or working collectively to deliver value. So, and again, you know, your question around how do we, how do we come together to make this a reality? So it'd be fair to say that more needs to be done to establish a trusted way of working together, where the ultimate objective is to make the outcomes for the patients and individuals we serve better. And in practice, this means understanding, again, the patient's journey through the system and understanding that the resource implications are a sum total of various interventions. It also means, again, understanding if all these interventions have delivered the outcomes that matter to individuals, which is all about again measuring um, something that we call patient-reported outcome measures, in addition to clinical outcomes. And healthcare, life sciences, including pharmaceutical, medtech, and digital, all have got to play a part in this, and a way to facilitate, you know, this from being a conceptual thing to making it happen.
0: Mm. and so, so just in my mind I, I'm sort of drawing a picture there so you've got the let's just call it the patient journey or the care pathway whichever way you want to look at it either from the perspective of the patient or indeed all the things that go on underneath to make that a reality so what you're saying I think is if you can under first of all lay that journey out and really understand it having mapped it are you saying that you look at a particular Part of the journey, a touch point in the journey, and say, right, okay, at that point, there's probably somebody who's best suited to delivering the outcome that the patient wants at that point, And therefore, they should deliver that. And therefore, if you looked at the entire journey, you might have different people that are best suited to delivering different outcomes along the way. And thus, if you bring all of that together, and satisfy the needs of the patient at each of those points in the journey. You get a much better, much more efficient system as a result of it. I mean, am I oversimplifying or does that make sense? I'm just trying to map it out in my simple mind.
1: No, Neil, I guess your end goal is correct, but how we get to the end goal is the challenge, is the operational challenge of it all. So the ultimate goal is to be able to collect outcomes, collect them at pace and scale, and be able to benchmark organizations against each other for delivering those outcomes, regardless of which organizations are we talking about, whether it's the provider or it's the insurer or it's the other stakeholders, including life sciences in it. Mm -hmm. I guess the challenge is about doing this in a, a way that apples can be compared with apples. And what that means is having standard patient reported outcome measures, um, which are standard digital assessments agreed by clinical bodies across the world. And the the International Consortium of Healthcare Outcome Measures does produce some standard sets um, for disease areas, which are quite well adopted across across the globe. So that's one example. There are many, um, but that's just one example. And then operationalizing collection of PROMs in a way that they use consistent data standards So that they can be captured or collected, captured and analyzed in exactly the same way across the the various systems. Now that that again, I hope that answers your question. But yes, the ultimate goal is to do that. But we've got a lot of work to be done in terms of agreeing to some of those data standards, agreeing to some of those patient reported outcome measures. There are some very well-developed standard sets, but that's a journey that NHS Wales and other organizations across the globe are on on as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I mean, obviously, central to all of this is, if you like, designing for the users of the system, whether they be patients or whatever terminology you want to use. And I mean, a lot of the work that we do, for example, with life sciences companies, centers on designing to the needs of the users of the systems. And I think that it's a a skill that's becoming more and more prevalent within organizations, but it takes certainly a different uh, way of thinking. And and the whole theme of this podcast is the rise of the customer, where the notion is that through consumerism and and rising consumer power, uh, you end up having things designed for your needs, and therefore you, you find them better and you experience them better. So in healthcare systems, I mean, we talked about mapping the journey I mean what are some of the other things that you use to try and design to needs because again this is this is a massive shift in the way in which I see healthcare being delivered and certainly you know everyone in the value chain if I can use that phrase needs to think differently in that respect I mean how do you go about designing to needs like that
1: okay so I am i think i'd like to kind of um so so as the end customers of healthcare be it be the providers or or other organizations whose end customers are actually individuals and patients
0: uh-huh. i
1: think there's a there's a there's a few ways of 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 doing it so the first one is all about how do we put in the right systems to measure experience and outcomes and again using this information to understand what could be done better now I've already mentioned patient-reported outcome measures, Neil, and patient-reported outcome measures have a variety of user cases. So if done well, the patient-reported outcome measures can be used for co-production, for shared decision-making, and focusing on what matters to the patients. And evidence proves that when patients are included in their own decision-making, they tend to make more conservative decisions about their health. Now, your question about how we truly design to their needs is all about working with so it's not just the patients, it's the carers as well, particularly in case of chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. It's patient advisory groups. it's it's focus groups, It's advocacy groups. It's about how we tap into some of those really valuable. So it's not just quantitative data. it's it's about qualitative as well, how we you know how we make sure that they are involved. In designing and and developing the services that matter to them, it it isn't easy, I, I guess, because no. traditionally we haven't been used to, you know, doing things in that particular way in in healthcare. Unlike perhaps the the industry, which is more which is more used to, I guess, co-producing, co-designing, you know, bringing business models um, which which are based on that unmet need. And I think what I'm what I'm trying to say here is there is an unmet need there, Neil to understand what the customer really wants. And some of the ways, some of the enablers can be patient-reported outcome measures, can be patient-reported experience measures, but there is more that can be done.
0: Okay. And so, I mean, I I'm what I'm getting very strongly here is obviously you almost have to start with the end in mind, which is to say, okay, we need to understand at the end of this, can we measure what we're doing and what the impact is, and then we can react to that. And if it's not meeting the standard that we've either set ourselves or indeed it's not meeting the expectations of our customers if i'll use that very broad um, term for a moment then we need to act and we need to either lift the standard or change what we're doing in order to try and uh, meet those needs yeah is that does that make sense so that's kind of the core principle of customer experience management really put into practice in this situation so
1: absolutely absolutely and i and i can if i if i may illustrate that with an example right so um, do, yeah. so a couple of examples here perhaps the most common common interventions and i and i and i'm going to kind of say this clearly i'm not a clinician so i i am only quoting this from a geek perspective not a
0: clinician's perspective <laughs> don't worry i'm not either so yeah.
1: <laughs> so one of the one of the most frequently talked about orthopedic procedures might be a, a hip replacement or or a knee replacement mm-hmm. uh, which is which is an intervention you know that 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 does um you know, cost in terms of the implant cost, in terms of the resources um, used in a in a hospital, but also impacts on on the patient's quality of life or the individual's quality of life. Mm-hmm. However, it's really important to understand whether whether that particular intervention, which happens to be quite a risky intervention, actually achieves the outcomes that the patients want. So, in 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 some cases, uh, an individual might want to run a marathon. In other cases, that they might just want to work in their allotment. For a short period of time, and actually, if we haven't understood what matters to the the patient and offer them an intervention that actually not is not going to give them the benefit that that they require from it, I think we we we've, we've not approached this from 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 the right way. And hence, a patient-reported outcome measure, which in this case could be some which is called um, an Oxford Knee Score, uh, for example, if measured longitudinally can provide you a, a longitudinal perspective of the quality of the life of the patient. How, how well they're able to move about, how they're about to, you know, how they can go about in their day-to-day life. And over a period of time, that information, along with clinical information, so that it can't be used in isolation, along with the clinical indicators and the diagnostic information, can be used to make better decisions, decisions that, in, that are shared with the patient and, and co-produced with the patients to, to then perhaps not do that surgery in the first place. Now, I'm not saying, uh, you know, there's no way I'm, clinically um able to say that. But this is from an information perspective about using all these different sorts of informations, triangulating them in a way, and then using that information to make better informed decisions from a patient's perspective and from a clinician's perspective as well.
0: Right, right. Okay. I, I understand. And we'll come back to the data element in a minute because I think that's going to be fascinating to talk about. But so just to be really clear then, what you're saying, and again, I'm putting words in your mouth here, but let me try and play back to you what I think you've said, is in that situation, you're obviously talking about the dialogue that you're having with an individual patient. But over a period of time, you're obviously building up a picture of a population and what happens in different outcomes based on expectations, etc. And therefore, having a more proactive and collaborative conversation with the patient about the fact that actually, rather than just going ahead with this procedure, you you really do have evidence to suggest that for someone like yourself who has an expectation of doing Y instead of X... Actually, this therapy might be better for you, and it might mean that you only get to 60% instead of 100%, but that's okay for you, and that's not only less invasive for you, but um, from the, the the system's perspective, it's a hell of a lot cheaper as well. I mean, is that a sort of a, a slightly crass way of putting it, but does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, and I guess, again, I, I'd like to just rephrase that. It's all about the value here. It's not about yeah. cost-cutting, as as okay. many people might perceive it, because at the end of the day, It's all about benefiting the individual who's at the end of it. Uh, And actually, the individual might benefit from some sort of therapies, i.e. weight management, for example, in this case, um, versus an intervention which wouldn't have got them the outcomes that that they would like to have. And of course, it has costed the system, which it didn't need to cost the system.
0: Yeah, yeah. So again... Maybe a rather crass observation, but I'll make it anyway because um, <laughs> it's what I do on these shows. But is you know rather than relying upon the, the the judgment and the intelligence of the individual physician in this situation, when you mentioned systems thinking earlier, what you're saying is is using all of the power of the resources and the knowledge that you have available in the system to enable the system to continue to, to grow and learn about how it makes more and more informed decisions as it goes along. And it, is that is that fair?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And the and the crucial part is the feedback from right. the end user, which is what you would do if you sit on an Uber <laughs> or you would do when you when you go to an Airbnb. Um, we can only improve our services if we hear and listen to our stake our most important stakeholders, i.e. the our citizens or our individuals that we're serving
0: okay okay so this really is customer experience management in in practice okay that that's probably the most clear description i've ever had of value-based healthcare and um the concept so thank you for that so i mean obviously that calls for very strong digital and data capture and analysis and reporting capabilities is i mean that 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 must be central to all of this so I mean, you mentioned a few things there. I mean, so you're talking about clinical data, outcome data. I mean, what other kind of data, and how do you bring it all? To, how do you capture it in analysis? Have you got some big black box somewhere that hums away in the background, twenty four seven, and churns this stuff out, or how how do you do it?
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And um, so, Neil, I am going to now explain a few things here, right? Please so do. when we when we talk about outcomes, I think it's 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 important to demystify what what an outcome means and and mm. what are the key components of measuring outcomes, right? So the first of all, and the cornerstone of value-based healthcare is that patient-centric measure, which is called the patient-reported outcome measures. Um, These are structured assessments that enable people to score themselves on their current symptoms, which can be condition-specific prompts, as the Oxford knee score or the Kansas 12 in case of heart failure, for example. And the quality of life, which is a generic PROM, also sometimes referred to as the EQ5D. On their own, PROMs may provide useful communication between a person and their healthcare team to support direct care or enable a person to track their own progress, right? As I explained in the example before you know the knee score for example for understanding whether the pain has gone down whether they're able to resume their normal activities and and sharing this information with their clinical teams to plan for interventions appropriately Yep. therefore an outcome is not only an end point that's really important to say okay. here yeah it's a it's a milestone or status at a point in time for an individual to report how they're faring in areas of their lives that matter to them and in a structured way, right? When we aggregate PROMs together, as, as you already alluded to earlier, they can provide a useful needs assessment, which is helpful in determining local service development. Now, when we talk about the analyses of PROMs, it does require expert statistical input and risk adjustment considering the prompts with the case mix variables, you know, which are all to do with comorbidities, age, other clinical factors, treatment variables, and clinical outcomes data. These last three data groups are typically found in what we would traditionally describe as clinical audits and can also be a measure of clinical effectiveness so i hope i've cleared the jargon a little bit now in terms of that in terms of that black box you were mentioning earlier (laughs) that black box is simply described if we were to have intelligence for value right then we need to understand what value means for various stakeholders right and what are the questions that they're typically asking in order to answer those questions you need data sets that have the ability to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. And the data sets will typically be stored in a data warehouse. I, yep. I'm sorry, I'm going into a bit of technical. No,
0: no, 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 no it's good. I, I, I would expect one somewhere.
1: <laughs> you, you, you asked me a question around, you know, what makes Wales so special um, yeah. about, about all of this. So um, we mentioned the size of the country. We've mentioned the policy. But there are a few other bits that NHS Wales is is absolutely geared up towards. The first being the Digital Health and Care Wales, which is a special health authority created to take forward the digital transformation needed for better health and care in Wales. And they have a bold and ambitious program of integration and innovation that includes expansion of digital patient record and the creation of a world-leading national data resource. Improving the way data is collected and shared and used. So this is what is the national data resource. And this program, this whole program is a strategic imperative for health and care in Wales and is an essential component of the digital architecture review that, that happened in Wales um, a few yeah. years ago. So the connection between the intelligence for value and the national data resources that we need to have everything in one place, I. Yeah. i.e. that black box you mentioned. Okay about and then need advanced capability and skill sets to be able to convert that data into information and yeah. insights and then provide it both to the decision makers and of course the individuals that we serve does that make sense
0: yeah yeah totally yeah 100% yeah and i mean that's really interesting so i mean so what you're saying is let me try and think of the best way to describe this is given the fact that you have all of this information and I, I, it's very clear the kind of you know the, the, the various different types of measures you're talking about here and, and what's going on from a clinical perspective so does that mean then that within the sort of regulatory constraints that we all have to work under in this sector that you you have to share an appropriate level of insight with the partners that are collaborating within this i'm going to use the terrible bit of jargon here, ecosystem yeah. to deliver the outcomes of the patient so you're you're providing just enough insight to each party so that everyone can participate or does everyone see everything how do you how do you manage the data sharing element of that because quite often when we have these kind of conversations uh, certainly in my experience that's when the big fear comes in and then you start talking about amazon and google and their participation and taking the whole thing over i mean how, how does that work
1: Yeah, so I um I think it'll be fair to say that what I described to you previously is from a healthcare perspective, right? So that's 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 what's happening in NHS Wales. We you know, in terms of in terms of delivering value-based healthcare, value-based healthcare approaches, you do need insights to improve, you know, and insights will require triangulation of information. Now, you touched on some very important points there. All of this, even within NHS Wales, happens under very appropriate governance, including GDPR, including confirming to what's called the call to principles, including very strict information governance rules where patient trust is prime to all of this. Now, but of course, you know the the vision of working with stakeholders and 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 you know cannot really happen until until we have mechanisms to to share some of this some of this information. I think I'm not suggesting, and it it it'll take time to to see how this all pans out. But the the vision of the national data resource um in Wales, is to provide appropriate access. Mm. Appropriate access is the word, based on information governance principles and based on specific case scenarios where the sharing of their data is 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 deemed appropriate for that purpose. You see, mm. um, there's a lot of detail beneath that Neil, but Hopefully, that will pave the way for whether, you know, whether data needs to be shared appropriately or whether insights need to be shared. Um, Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what what, what I've been through is I think all of us get a bit stuck on that data sharing. And sometimes data does not need to be shared at all. And and even if data needs to be shared, even in between NHS organizations, it's pseudonymized. It's not identifiable. And actually, a lot of work happens based on insight and a lot of decision-making is based on insights. You don't necessarily need to pass on, you know, data between organizations at all. So I guess it will be on a case-to-case basis. It will be based on what's the purpose of doing this.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think, I mean, from what you're saying, um, it strikes me that this calls for not just a cultural shift in terms of how people think about things and behave, but I guess just organisational capabilities generally would need to be fundamentally different going forward, not just within the NHS or indeed the actual healthcare delivery system, but also within the participating partners, if you like, within that, because uh, whereas, I mean, obviously, you know, again, just thinking about life science companies... You know, there's a huge amount of knowledge, insight, data that exists within these organisations, but harvesting it in a way that centres on a patient outcome—not just in terms of prompts, but the reported outcomes, but also thinking clinically about the outcomes, etc. I mean, that's a, that's quite a different centric way of thinking about things, isn't it? It's a very data centric way of actually managing the experience, and that that feels like it—it it calls for not just technology, but quite fundamentally different capabilities to actually exist within these organisations.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I agree with that.
0: So I mean does that have implications from a, a sort of structural point of view in your perspective? I mean in terms of how people actually organize themselves. Do you sort of see if you were to to want to make this a reality in a bigger organization, let's just say for example transplant some of the things that you're doing not just in NHS Wales but into other bigger systems. I mean what what are the implications there in in terms of the whole care model and how it would be designed?
1: Yeah. Um thanks for that Neil. You know, I think I mentioned earlier on about the objectives of organizations. So, mm. so you know, what are the core objectives of, of organizations? What are their strategic goals? You know, who are they trying to serve? And I think we, there's a lot of, if I might be allowed to say, a lip service paid to this. Yep. So I, I, I think for me, I can only talk about this from a digital perspective, if I may. You know, th- what I see in this space is organizations, particularly, let's say, digital platforms in this case, Uh, which are, you know, which which are, for example, crucial to collecting outcome measures and crucial to perhaps collecting experience measures as well. It's all about understanding their roadmaps, because if you collect these measures and you don't comply with the data standards of economies like Wales, for example, and if the system is not interoperable, which is which means the system is not able to talk to another system technically through um, advanced programming interface, which are also called APIs, and and of course confirmed to standards like Fire or Open Air, um, which are the standards in which systems talk to each other, then we've really missed a trick. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the missing trick is well, we can collect all the outcomes data in the world. But unless it's embedded in clinical workflow, uh, which it only can do if if the third party system then integrates with perhaps the the Welsh patient administrative system in a in a safe sort of way, which is you know which is the which is the core to all of this. We're not talking about sharing data; we're talking we're talking about systems talking to each other, yeah. and so data can be seamlessly moved from one place to the other. So so I think where I see this ecosystem working together is. How do we understand the patient's journey is the first thing together? How do we then understand uh, the resource implications for perhaps healthcare to collect these patient reported outcome measures? And what's in it for the ecosystem together as it serves the needs of the patients? And how do we synthesize some of these emerging data sets, which perhaps pharma does really well, for example, in case of rare diseases, you see? How do we bring some of those insights along with the end, the end result for the patient, which is the prompts, and work with digital providers who perhaps think about um, and and this is not think because I did a bit of quick research on business intelligence tools and and most of the time on their on their on their roadmaps on their strategies it says efficiencies, cost, performance, operations, but no, very few of them mention outcomes, right? Patient reported. So how do we work as an ecosystem and, and work on, you know, what part each one of us has to play in this bigger picture for the patient and how we come around the table to understand that strategies need to be aligned, roadmaps need to be aligned, and some of those motivations need to be aligned for us who work in this ecosystem and are passionate about making a difference for the people we serve? Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it, it's... um. You could be describing a number of different industry sectors that we work in, in terms of the challenges of a realization that in the digital world, standards are massively important. You know, just getting stuff to talk to its, each other, having shared objectives, having strategies that are genuinely win-win and again it's all business jargon but at the same time it it kind of makes sense because at the end of the day if you're not aligned in that way then um, it's going to be very hard to get a a life sciences company to collaborate with perhaps a device manufacturer and making sure that they're both getting what they want out of the arrangement as well as um, meeting the patient's needs and I'm assuming therefore that Bit of an advert for you I guess but you know you, you must be looking for a number of partners to come in and try stuff with you would that be fair I mean
1: uh... absolutely and absolutely and I think it'll be fair to say that NHS Wales is definitely on a journey again our collaboration I mentioned some of the pillars earlier in terms of our, our strategic aims for the program in NHS Wales and one of them is working with the industry and developing strategic partnerships in that in that sphere um, we've got the life sciences hub in NHS Wales that are very you know they're very keen to develop memorandums of understanding develop i guess a, a shared a shared way of working together i'm not an expert on that but hopefully you will find a lot of information about them on their website and see how how different organizations can come forward to mm. put in proposals on how we work together on specific case areas because this is a learning journey for everyone, Neil. You know, let alone let alone um, life sciences and healthcare. So, how do we pick up specific disease conditions that matter to the population um, in Wales and globally as well? Um, you know, clearly there is things like diabetes, COPD, other respiratory conditions, which which are almost common to every healthcare system. And how do we how do we make this from a vision to a reality? I think will involve um, a lot of thinking heads on the table and and a lot of being shared motivations rather than individual motivations.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, this really chimes with a lot of the work that we do. You know, we we spent a lot of time over the last few years uh, working with organizations, particularly life sciences companies, who are thinking beyond the pill, thinking very much about the broader range of services and things that lead towards outcomes that patients, users, whatever you want to call them, actually you want. And, and so this feels like a an incredibly exciting opportunity to have an organization such as NHS Wales with open arms saying, come and talk to us, you know, let's get this hub moving. And, um, yeah, actually being able to collaborate in a way that normally is quite hard for an organization like a life sciences company, in my experience, to think about how they, other than through their typical commercial front door, how they actually interact with a health system like this to actually try things and and work in an agile way, uh, you know, to actually try things, test, fail, learn, and move on to other things. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the examples I think I, I I have used several times is the example of COPD, for example, where, where I guess if you look at the, the pyramid for COPD, then the most expensive interventions will be because of unmanaged COPD. And again, I'd like to put a disclaimer, I'm not a clinician, but I'm just looking at data and information here. And the second bit of the top of the pyramid will be the cost associated with um, inhalers, uh, triple therapies. And the the lowest part of the pyramid here is resources that can be pumped into smoking cessation, for example, and flu vaccination. Um, So if you look at the quality of life ear adjusted for all those costs that are incurred, then the most value actually comes from smoking cessation and flu vaccinations, which probably cost um, a fraction of what it costs on the top of the pyramid. So I guess what the shift that that the system is trying to make here is how do all the individual players in this um, in this pyramid work together to understand, you know, where does the resource needs to but be invested, and play, and how do we work best? together to yeah. to kind of make this happen? Uh, yeah. And the motivations being: are we selling more inhalers here, or are we actually <laughs> genuinely reducing the use of some of those inhalers, and and bringing it down to the population level, and reducing smoking, for example? Where where also farmers got a, a big part to play?
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense, and and it's it's such a compelling conversation because you know go right back to the very beginning of what we started talking about here you know if we if we believe the premise which is hard to argue with that healthcare systems around the world as we get older and as diseases get more treatable and curable it's unsustainable as it stands and therefore creating that capacity through these kind of initiatives just feels like a i'm not going to say a no-brainer because it makes it so sound so simple but um it, it feels very very um essential how can i put it that way and this sort of final point, really, on all of this is, I mean, how do you, if you let, let's assume, let's fast forward a few years. I'm not going to say how many, but let's say three years, five years, and and you've had some big successes and you've really started to to show cause and effect and have made some progress. I mean, how do you take these learnings from the work you're doing and actually spread it to other? healthcare systems? Because I know part of what you're trying to do, your mission is to kind of show the way for other people. But part of that is then enabling it to be scalable and enabling it to be shared by others. I mean, are you are you doing active things in terms of collaborating? Is that where things like the World Health Organization come in? How, how do you spread the word?
1: it would be fair to say that charity begins at home. <laughs> yeah. So I think the first and foremost is that, you know, as as an organization we um, you know we we are learning from each other and value means different things to different people and and might be implemented in different sort of ways in different health boards across wales so we do have a community of practice in, in nhs wales where we we come together and we share some of our insights there and the, the next level is around the national value in health program which i'm a part of which which also um collates this best, best practice and some of the early I would again early wins or early you know early good examples, best practices in NHS Wales to the forefront. We do arrange a lot of webinars and you know in NHS Wales there is an education offering. Uh, so a, a really important part of this is educating a variety of stakeholders in different sorts of sectors, not just healthcare but but actually social. And and digital and 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 the other stakeholders, which are directly perhaps not involved in healthcare, but might be, you know, might be indirectly policymakers, for example, right? Mm. So how do we educate them to bring them up to speed? Swansea University has a value based healthcare executive ed- education offering, you know, for for stakeholders, and of course, as a collaboration with the World Economic Forum, uh, which uh, you know, which will spread and scale um, some of this. You know that there is collaborations. Uh, I would say in between, you know, ongoing collaborations with other other countries. I am not directly involved with those, but because my bread and butter is, you know, how do we how do we get the architecture right? How we get how do we get the information right here? So in that sense, I think the emerging intelligence for value framework. So from my perspective, the intelligence in intelligence for value framework has been created with with pretty much all of these stakeholders in mind, the questions they're asking the digital enablers that we need to get in place, but of course, the data that also needs to get in place, because the one thing that speaks to me is that one version of truth, Neil, and the one version of truth can only come with reliable quality data that is analyzed and presented in a a way that it is able to answer those questions, but is able to answer those questions consistently for everybody, because then you can trust the information and you can make decisions. So from my perspective and my role, I think it's, digital being one of the enablers, I think over a period of time, we'll see some really good examples coming out of the use of data and information and how we collectively use some of that information to make things better for our patients.
0: Well, we'll certainly be watching closely and um, hopefully uh, collaborating in some way to help share the word because I think it's uh, it's tremendously exciting and important work that's going on. And Surprise, surprise, it's all about the data. Um, You know, increasingly in every sector we work in, there's so much focus and realization that, um, you know, this is just the essential part of uh, of decision making. But ultimately, coming back to the whole theme of the podcast, you know, you can't meet your customers' needs without, first of all, understanding them, but then secondly, seeing whether you actually are and where you're not, lifting the bar and changing as a result of it. So, feedback and feedback loops are are incredibly important. central to all of this so yeah thank you for sharing that well it has been that it's been tremendously interesting thank you and some really good practical illustrations not only of the work that you're doing but what value-based healthcare, which is a concept and a word that's been bandied around for many many years as we know is actually starting to to have some traction i suppose in in terms of the delivery thing so so thank you for that before I let you go, there's a couple of roundup questions I ask all of my guests and really just to get back to the theme of customer. And this is uh, just always fascinating to hear the stories, really. So my first question to you is, I mean, what do you think being truly customer centric means?
1: It means a few things, right? It means absolutely understanding what the customer wants and requires and, and really listening to them. So that's that's the first one. The, the second one is the voila moment that I call you know when I've got something from an organisation which I hadn't expected or expected but they went they went over and beyond my expectations. I think that's what customer centric means to me and I always quote this thing from the Starbucks CEO, um, which was you know we are in the we're in the people's business. Serving coffee and not the other way around. I think that's that that always resonates me. It's we are in the people's business here. (laughs) Whatever we do is secondary. The products are secondary, but we're always about the people.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. And can you think of an example of a really fantastic customer experience that you've had personally, either recently or that sticks in your mind that kind of typifies that or typifies customer centricity at its best?
1: Oh, there's there's loads of there's loads of examples. A, A recent one being um. I guess, you know, an insurance company I've been talking to recently because, you know, it's just, uh, you know, taking care of our own selves. and, and, And but recently what stuck out for me was even after obtaining the quote from them online, you know, the way their customer service department was structured, that at each point they weren't trying to sell me anything. What they were trying to ascertain was to understand what was the best product for me. Uh, at every step, they were concerned about whether I had the right information to make those decisions, uh-huh. and whether I was fully informed of what that product would mean to me and my family. Uh-huh. There was no rush in doing that, and they were accountable. I guess throughout the whole journey, um, they didn't leave me to another department. They just, they just were very accountable, and I. And I actually said it to them. I was like, you know, wow, you know, you, you've you been awesome. Uh, I haven't bought anything yet, Neil. That's the thing. I haven't made yep. my decision of buying anything and neither was I forced to buy anything. But actually, the fact that they were accountable, the fact that, that they actually made sure that my needs were being met rather mm-hmm. than their needs around selling me a product, you see?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Do totally. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great example, and it's um, it's quite unusual for people to quote insurance companies in that context. So uh, I'm glad to hear it. And and what about the opposite? What about um, a terrible experience that typifies the the opposite of that?
1: Well, again, without quoting any names, I think it, it's a budget airline many years ago, and the horrendous, her, I would say, the horrendous experience around the the mishandling of a of a very familiar family situation, um, you know, traveling with young kids, and and how sometimes baggage can be slightly bigger uh, than expected. It's uh, and then you know being deboarded from that plane for that experience and all the all the fraught it caused me oh my and my family. I mean, yeah, yeah. you choose never ever to travel with that airline again. Yeah, and le- and 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 you know that experience stays with you for the rest of your life. So I think terrible experiences can cause a lot of grief to people yeah. over and beyond what organizations even can fathom.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm always amazed at how many times travel and tourism and hotels comes up in both the good and the bad, and it 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 always strikes me that the reason for that is because you are literally in the journey <laughs> and and it's so apparent to you. And that's why customer journey mapping is such a fantastic metaphor for anything that we do because you are actually in it and you feel it. So uh, yeah, a no, great example. And then final, final question, I promise before I let you go. What's the one thing you've learned in your career that you perhaps could never have learned at business school?
1: There's many things and and contrasting, I guess, contrasting my before and after of my career journey contrasting the industry perhaps and, and working in a publicly funded organization so there is there is one thing called strategy but and the second thing is about operationalizing that that strategy mm-hmm. um, sometimes we oversimplify it uh, sometimes we are in a rush to achieve our objectives what being in, in a in a publicly funded organization has taught me that it's not always it's not always right to do things very quickly and although we complain about the slowness of, of healthcare sometimes, sometimes it's for the right reasons, mm-hmm. because right. there's a lot of complexity in the system, and there's lives at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, even though it frustrates, you know, me, myself, who went to a very elite business school and, and learned all about strategies and how, how we need to align, I think it's absolutely key to be mindful to the complexities that our stakeholders come with to the complexity that our clinical teams need to be in to the enormous amount of pressure that healthcare is at all times and just reflect on perhaps the difference in in terms of i guess some organizations trying to achieve those strategic objectives including uh, you know the the bottom line etc very quickly versus the nature of some of their stakeholders who live in very complex worlds, and that's something I would have never, never, ever learned in a business school. <laughs>
0: yeah, a really interesting point. I've never heard going slowly uh, d- uh, described so well. Actually, it's um, that's a, a very good way of putting it. Thank you for that, and and thank you very much indeed for for giving up your time today, and uh, not only talking about the work that you're doing, but you know, bringing to life a subject that I think is just going to become on the lips of so many people that work in in anything to do with healthcare over the coming years. And uh, I wish you and your colleagues every success in in what you're trying to achieve there. So thank you very much and and thanks for joining me today.
1: Well, thanks, Neil. I I enjoyed it and really appreciate you having me here.
0: Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much for listening today. If you found that useful, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to know more, you can find us at penpartnership.com or you can follow Penn Partnership on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.